One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Today, we're joined by a guest who knows the modern game better than anyone. Joe Chung is a football agent for some of the biggest names in the game and has fought for opportunities for women in the football space for nearly 20 years. From fighting to get Enya Luko onto match of the day in the early days to managing Jill Scott after her huge victory in I'm a Celebrity. I mean, the profile of the game has shifted enormously in that time and that has brought about a whole new set of challenges which Joe has to navigate. We're going to ask Joe to pull the curtain back on the modern game to tell us what really goes on behind the scenes between agents, clubs and the media and to find out her reflections on the state of play right now. Joe, welcome for the very first time, your debut on the Upfront pod. And we've got an additional special guest. We've also been joined by another, none other than Joe Tung's son, Leo. Um, welcome to the pod, Leo. You're officially our youngest guest. Um, so lovely to have you both on. Thank you so much for joining us, Joe. I mean, how are you finding motherhood? Yeah, congratulations from us. Thank you. Thanks, fam. Um... Do you know what? I think if you live a busy life, it's just, um, look, it's different, it, but it's just busy. It's multitasking. It's what we do. Um, and yeah, I think everyone scared me so much about motherhood saying your life will never be the same and you'll never <laughs> sleep that actually no one says there's some really lovely bits. Um, so yeah, we're having fun. We're watching lots of football. Um, it's a completely different pace of life than I'm used to, but it's not a bad one. Joe, you are the queen of multitasking. So I think if anybody can nail it, you can, that's for sure. It's exactly that. I was just about to say, I mean, the experience levels that you have from managing the people that you've managed over the years, all the queries and the information, the requests, the the player concerns, the welfare. And, and yeah, now you've just got the one to focus on, the one main star player. So, um, yeah, in a way, I suppose it must be a little bit easier. Dare I, dare I say it as someone who doesn't have kids? <laughs> no, I think I've had, I have 45 children um, <laughs> in my work life and I have one child in my private life. So I think it's, um, I've been well prepared. Let's put it that way. <laughs> Absolutely. 20 years now in the industry, um, you started as a BBC reporter and edited 606 for a decade. I mean, has that experience in the media informed how you deal with them now? Us as players, us as uh, media people, journalists, Brooke, all the people that, that you currently manage? Um, yeah, I think so. And I think it's it's sort of an interesting transition. So for those that don't know, I started off as a reporter at the BBC, a written reporter, not in vision, and then a producer, and then I was an editor. And I think actually it just made, it's given me like an understanding of that side of the world of sport. Um, and so I'm not going to say it makes it my job easier, but I think I understand where the media are coming from. And I can help sort of advise my clients on um, the relationship that they could or can or should have with the media um, and how it it can be a good relationship. I think especially sort of in the past, there was sometimes, you know, it can be quite an angsty relationship. Um, and ultimately, both sides are just trying to do their job. And I, I sort of feel that because I can I know it from both sides that that can only be an asset. So I've always sort of thought that more people with my background should come across to agency um, or the other way around, you know, agents go across to work, work in the media. 
You know, I think it is, it's really difficult. I think, you know, getting into the industry, especially as the youngsters now, I mean, there's so many people who want to get into football, so many people who want to get specifically into women's football. I mean, I was at the um, Raise Your Game, the Kick It Out Raise Your Game conference the other day. And I think it was a beautiful event uh, that, that Kick It Out had put on. And um, it was a load of people who were already in the industry. And it was kind of um, like a speed dating like thing where you kind of have 15 minutes to chat to someone who wants to, to get in and around and ask questions and find out what's going on and explore the opportunities. But I think, um, yeah, do you feel like, you know, as someone who's sort of been in loads of different jobs, I mean, you said before, I mean, when we spoke and you started off at uh, McDonald's as well. And I can, I mean, I'm also a fellow ex-McDonald's employee. Oh, um, left out. Never got any stars, though. <laughs> never got any what? stars. Yeah. I, I, they never invited me to take my Mook exams. So I... Um, what, did you, what were you? Were you burgers? Were you fries? Were you till? I was on the, I was on the fry station, the till, and drive through as well. Yeah, oh, I was uh, a multifaceted employee, but uh, they never saw my potential. So Didn't realise you were a keeper. Damn it. Oh, well done. <laughs> well done. Anyway, um, but yeah, I think, um, you know, those kind of programs just go to show sort of how difficult I think it still is for young people to get into the industry. I mean, do you still see that now? Do you still sort of people, you know, coming into contact with you and saying, you know, Joe, how do I do it? Where do I take the first steps? Oh, it's so it's so competitive, isn't it? And I think it's got more and more competitive as, you know, the, the industry has grown, the media industry has grown as football's grown. Um, and I think it's. It's really hard because you want to really encourage everyone to get involved in the industry because it's such an amazing industry to work in. But at the same time, like you probably found at Raise Your Game last week, which is exhausting, by the way. You sort of, you know, you sit there and you're, you have all this enthusiasm and you, you really want to encourage everyone and say this is the best industry in the world. But at the same time, you want to sort of share a little bit of the realism of, look, this is really hard and so many people want to do it. And so you have to just, you have to stand out. You've mm. got to be special. You've got to, and whether you're, special because of talent or whether you're special because of your hard work rate or you know in an ideal world both um you can make it so you, we don't want to discourage people but at the same time you have to be realistic that you may have to work well you will have to work for free you are going to do a few years in probably the job that isn't your ideal job it's not like we said before it's not the job you grew up thinking that you might do but I think it sort of it does lead to a few issues so I've, I've always had a sort of big issue with the industry in that because we have to work for free and because we have to do work experience, especially so much of it was based in London, ultimately it was those who could afford to either live with parents or be funded by parents that could then afford to work in this industry or get a, um, a step up in this industry. I made bacon sandwiches for Ian Wright every Saturday morning um, for free uh, because I had to learn my trade and I had to learn you know, I had to learn how the industry worked, but I was desperate to do it. And I could only afford to do that by working in McDonald's three days a week because um, that paid my rent while I could do my work for free. Um, so, look, it's, it's, it's the most amazing industry, but you have to be realistic about the fact that you are, I think, going to have to work for free. Yeah, yeah, uh, 100% everything you've just said there in terms of uh, our experience as well uh, as we've gotten into it. Um, Another hat you wear, as you touched on, director of women in football, and um, we're we're part of that as well. Like absolutely incredible organisation. But I guess for maybe for our listeners' benefit, you know, maybe touch on a little bit about how that I've I've heard you speak about it before. How women in football came about and how it's changed now and what it is now. Women in football is is kind of one of the greatest sort of greatest things I've ever been part of in my life. It's, it's given me friends. It's given me um, advisors. It's given me confidence. And it's it's ultimately given me contacts. Um, and it started with eight women who, most of whom worked in the media, some worked at clubs, who found that 
when we went to press conferences or, you know, I was 21 and I was being sent out by the BBC to cover a press conference on a Friday and I'd walk into the press conference room, I'd be the only female. Often people would think you were, you know, you were there to make the coffee. Um, on a Saturday, I'd go to a press room in a game and I knew no one. I'm 21 years old. I, I know no one in the industry. No one knows who I am. Um, and there's lots of, there were sort of lots of assumptions made about a female, a young female in a press room. Um, and so eight women got together and sort of said, right, how can we help each other? And it's the, the sort of premise of it is that when you walk into a room, you see someone who looks like you or you've got a sort of common ground with, i.e. we are female or we, you know, we have an affiliation and you just kind of go, are you all right? It's just to have someone when you walk into that room and we've all been there and, you know, I've, like you say, I've been in the industry 20 years. I don't mind walking into rooms, but when there's rooms where you don't know anyone, however confident you are, whoever you are, whoever, however many people you know in the industry, it can be daunting to open a room, open the door to a room where you know no one. So it was just to sort of try and create something where you may know someone or just have someone to walk to go and stand with someone to sort of go to and say how you're doing or um to share information with you know especially in football it's have you heard have you heard about you know have you got the lineup do you know if so-and-so starting um that's how it works so that's that's how it began and our first event was um I think attended by 30 people and it was very sort of um, on the underground, you know, it wasn't publicised. It was just word of mouth. We just invited every female we knew. Um, and we probably, I mean, I was surprised that we knew 30 between us, you know, <laughs> 20 years ago. Um, and so 30 people came and we had a couple of speakers of um, some women who were working in the game. And it just grew from there. And so that was seven, 16 years ago. And we now have a network of about 8,000 women. So uh, women and men and non-binary people, anyone who works in football is um, welcome to join. The main thing about it is it's free. It's a free membership. So, you know, going back to how do we encourage young people into the industry, one of the main things about women in football, it's a free network. It, you know, it's such a massive resource that you can tap into. It's about giving women who work in the game a voice. Um, we work very closely with all the stakeholders, trying to um, sort of encourage them and influence them to diversify the industry and support women in their individual um, companies and clubs um, to, to stay in the game. I think it's there's a, there was a real drop-off, sort of 30-year-old women, people who started working in football and then got to age 30. And, you know, you'll both know it's a 24-7 industry, right? It's it's tough and you have to be available 24-7 and something like having a baby. You know, I, I had to wait till I was 44 till I felt able to have a child or that it could sort of work around my life and... Um, you know, I think some women just can't can't see a way where they could work in football and also have a family. Well, as I'm, I'm sure you'd say it as well, but as someone who's been to these events and participated in some of the leadership courses and stuff, it's an incredible network to be involved in. Like, the events are amazing. Yeah, I think, yeah, well, it, was, it wasn't only a few weeks ago, a month yeah. ago or so, that we were all at uh, the Be Inspired conference, and I think you at were Wembley. talking there, at the progression of sort of saying, you, you know, 30 people in a room, and then all of a sudden, there's like 300 people in a room at the Be Inspired conference at Wembley Stadium, and it, and it, I think that was the, the, the most important thing for me, is being part of Women in Football, was the network, and I don't just mean a sort of professional network in terms of, okay, job opportunities, or how do we share things that are going on in the industry, but also just on a friends basis. It's almost like the sense check thing it's mm -hmm. having someone that you can in confidence just message and say what do you think about this or this happened to me today and I feel a little bit strange about it and I'm not quite sure how to handle it um like someone someone called me this morning and was like can I just 
like the, you know, can I just pick your brains about something? Mm-hmm. And inevitably, it's just a this happened, and how do you think I can handle it, or what would you do? And you know, I have had it for years with with so many people at Women in Football. And one of the joys you mentioned the conference, um, and actually, it's really important to mention, you know, where we say about getting young people into the industry. Conferences are notoriously expensive, so. What you tended to find and still tend to find is those football conferences are attended by C-suite people from companies who can afford to send them. But for freelancers like like yourselves and like me running a small company, it's really expensive to buy tickets to conferences. So mm-hmm. for our racial, um, for our uh, Be Inspired conference, we um, Barclays very kindly paid for 100 young people. We gave 100 bursary places so that... There was a hundred places for people that um, couldn't afford to come otherwise, and I think that's really important. It's re- certainly really important for women in football that we continue to sort of offer that. And um, I've got I've got an intern um, with us at the moment, and uh, she came to the conference for the first time. She was actually working um, in hospitality at Wembley there last year, so she'd seen the conference from that side. And and this year she was part of it as as part of, of my team. And she the one thing she said she said I can't believe how how much time everyone gave to me like people wanted to speak to me and I was like of course that's that's what we're all there for but she was so sort of um grateful that like you say senior people in in the industry um had given her time and she's just trying to break into the industry obviously but she was just so amazed that people like you say who have you know you or I would say god they're so been in this industry why have they talked to little old me but that's what I had 20 years ago and that's what she experienced this time around and that I was just like oh thank god we've still got the effort the essence of what we're meant to be for that mm-hmm. we're there to give time and to share experience and say here's my number give me a call and you know and you did it yourself at raise your game last week it's it's just being there yeah. um as a face and it's really important that you're visible but it's also really important that we give our time back to people who might be feeling a bit less sure than than we are in those those situations yeah absolutely i mean that's probably the only event that i would be not nervous about going to on my own Mm. like i've i went to an event recently that wasn't football related and i was like oh god i forgot what these are like but actually women football it's you know totally fine to go on your own um okay switching hats now Mm -hmm. agent hat i like what you did there thank you um (laughs) who was your first client in women's football and looking back were you prepared for the demands of of this industry or can anything really prepare you for that um so my first female client was any aluko um and i think any rachel branfinis and claire rafferty all sort of came at the same time and it was um in 2012 when we had the london olympics and they were all part of team gb and i think um you know we all sort of thought this was a time for women's football where where things might change and and they did change but they didn't change for quite a long time mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, one, one sort of example of that change. So any and I started working together 2012 and it, you know, I, I, I thought that I could help give them a voice, give women a voice. Um, we'd sort of all seen, um, the games they played in the Olympics, um, foot, you know, women's football wasn't televised yet. Um, then we didn't have big broadcast deals like we do now. Um, but it was still, you know, we, we knew who, who the England team were and team GB were, or so I thought. So I started pushing for um, any to be a pundit. I thought, you know, she's she's eloquent. She knows the game. She's she's interesting. She's funny. Uh, I thought she'd be perfect, you know, with my old producer hat on. She's the kind of person I would want on one of my shows. So I started talking to some broadcasters saying, look, I think she'd be a really good pundit. I think you should use her. And I just, I, I got quite, um, 
quite a lot of knockbacks. And, and one of the sort of main reasons when I sort of pushed it and said, well, why not? Why, why would you not consider using her? Was um, the main reason was she hadn't played in the Premier League. And I just, I just found it exasperating because I had male players who, for example, would have four England caps and any, I think at the time, had 88 England caps and was playing for Chelsea and had played in the States. And um, I was just like, but she knows football. Like, if I'm allowed to write about football for the BBC, for example, as a female, why can't I have a female player talk about it? It just seems ridiculous. Anyway, it... I did this, you know, these meetings went on for about two years and then wow. eventually, so um, Annie and I started working together just before the summer 2012 and in October 2014, she became the first pundit, uh, female pundit on the BBC and on Match of the Day. And it's it's sort of, again, you know, along with women in football, it's sort of probably the other thing I take greatest pride from in, in what I've done um, and made something happen because I didn't give up. It took two years. Any took the feedback really well you know we didn't go oh, okay take no for an answer and never ask again and then you know it was it was a really nerve-wracking weekend I remember it we went up to Manchester and I remember Wayne Rooney had I think he made a mistake or Wayne Rooney had done something and she had to do the analysis of Wayne Rooney and she was brilliant and you know just did what she does spoke about football analyzed the game really well was bold enough to say something about Wayne Rooney, you know, she's a, she was a, she's an attacking player. She's allowed to have an opinion on another attacking player. Um, and you know, look at the, look at the media now. We we don't really have a football broadcast without a female presence Paved on. And, way. Yeah, and that, but that's that was only 2014. So yeah. eight years ago, we didn't have females on our television. So think of all those young women and you know young boys who grew up watching football, thinking only men could speak about it. It's crazy. Speaking about contracts and that kind of thing, you've spoken in the past about how shocked you are at the kind of the disparity in wages among clubs in the women's game. Has that changed much over the years? Are there still big issues with that? Um, it's changed exponentially. Um, you know, the fact that women can um, earn a living playing football. You know, since I started working in the women's game, it was not professional. So, you know, that's great. I think my, my worry with it now is the difference between clubs, you know, maybe the top four who can afford to pay decent wages and those other clubs um, who just don't have the budgets yet and so are still expecting players to live um, and earn what I would call a basic wage. Mm. Um, and I think there's this sort of perception from the public that now, you know, England won the Euros, women's football's changed, you know, everyone sort of starts to know these players that they must be earning a fortune. Um, and ultimately, if, if you're playing for a top four club, yes, you can earn a bit, but it's still nowhere near, you know, what you earn in a year is what, I'm at, you know, many of the men, in, especially in the Premier League, will earn in, earn in a week. And that's the difference. Mm. Um, but I think the gap between the clubs, even within the WSL, is just getting bigger. And until that's addressed, I, th I think we're, we're going to have an issue with it. Um, I think Le Leah Williamson mentioned it after the Euros. She said, "It's you know we're expected to lead lead this lifestyle, but we don't have the finances to back it up. So mm -hmm. if you're a Premier League player, you you can have security, or you can um, you know you can pay for whatever event you want to go to. But I think the women are expected to live that lifestyle now because they're you know they're seen as 
um, recognisable faces. But the earnings don't back that up yet. So it's, it's a really interesting transition stage. And I mean, it's it's quite it's also quite interesting managing expectations, both players and club expectations in terms of clubs have their budgets. They know what they want to spend. Um, we know what players are capable of earning. So we're asking for certain figures. Players know what other players are earning and so may have expectations of what they'd also like to earn. Um, and the money is just not there at some of the clubs. That's the problem. I think it's um, there's such an unusual perception that you just touched on there. It's that, you know, you see the likes of Leah Williamson and Alessia Russo doing these Gucci adverts, the Adidas adverts, you know, the men's players are involved in it. And then you assume that oh, Alessia Russo must be on millions of pounds or she must be driving around in a Ferrari. And then you sort of cut to, you know, the FA Cup semi-final and the Manchester United players are driving their own cars to to the games. And everyone's like, oh, what's going on? Where's like the elite bus? What's What's the picture here? I don't get it. Um, but like you said, I mean, it is it is hard, but obviously you must be seeing sort of, you know, higher figures now. Um, you know, the value of these players is obviously going up. Some of them are only on one or two year contracts. So every single year, I suppose, you're engaging in those contract discussions. Is, um, have you seen the kind of the contracts negotiation process change at all? Or is that, has it become more difficult or more, is it, are the discussions a little bit more kind of um, tense, I suppose, as, you know, your what you want for your players doesn't necessarily sort of um, equate with what the budgets are for the club still? Yeah, I think exactly that. It's they're they're probably a bit more drawn out because um, we've got expectations of where we'd like to be at. And I mean, the other thing is, it's like tying a player in for three years, for example, or a four year deal. The game is changing so quickly that it's quite a sort of interesting scenario. That do you want to tie a player in for three or four years on this this level? Mm-hmm. When who knows what you know? Look look at where the game was four years ago and what we might have been asking for four years ago. Mm. And so then think how in four years' time how that could change again. Um, so I think as an agent, that that's quite interesting for, for me to be looking at. Um, Even year to I, year. I mean, you look at someone yeah. like Alessia Russo. I mean, she was a big name before the World Cup. And then the World Cup happens, she scores an absolute worldie. And all of a sudden, she's like doing an Adidas Gucci advert. And you're you thinking, it. yeah, it's like every yeah. single year, the value of these players is changing. And then it only yeah. takes maybe one in- injury. And then all of a sudden, the value drops. So I suppose you're constantly in a position where you're trying to almost second guess the future market. I mean, but, how, yeah. how do you how do you navigate that? Equally though, you've also got to give players that kind of solidity in their career, you know, and one or two years doesn't give them they can't come and buy a house next to their club or maybe if you're a farm player bring a family over if you're on a year contract. So that must be quite a difficult balance. Exactly that. And that's that's where I'm saying the sort of weight of it sits quite heavy sometimes yeah. in that I'm there to advise and you know, I, I can't second guess the economy. I can't second guess. Um, I can, you know, have a very good sense of where I think women's football is going on on the trajectory that we've seen. Um, but like you say, I mean, mortgages are, are things people just won't think about. Like a player's got a, you, you know, you'll have been through it, Chloe. It's, you know, you were a professional player at Spurs, so you should be able to buy a house. But you know the reality of what you were earning and what your contract was and going into... A, you know a building society and saying I'd like a mortgage and them saying well you know what's your job well I'm a footballer and I've you know my contract is um one year or two years they laugh you out the door it's um it's same with car leasing it's you know it's it's an interesting space that people assume like you say they see the girls on the front of the magazines or you know turning up in Gucci to you know getting invited to the Brit Awards etc etc but the reality is trying to earn a living and they're trying to see how sustainable that is and then I you know I do see it from the club's point of view in the club chairman and club CEOs have been given a budget 
which is often dictated by the men's team. So, for example, if the men's team get relegated, your budget changes next year. Mm-hmm. So you're trying to, you know, work out this transfer window now. But your men's team that you are affiliated with, if, if they drop out of the Prem or they come up, um, you know, come up to the Prem, your whole budget changes so, you know, it's, it's such an interesting, it's such an interesting space. And, you know, that's why it is f- interesting to work in. But at the same time, it, it's it's tricky. And I suppose it must be even trickier, I suppose, because we're at such a transitional time in women's football. Where you've got the older players, like you said, who are thinking about mortgages. Maybe they're thinking about starting a family. And like those kind of things, you know, do play on the older athletes' minds where you're also navigating, you know, the younger players who are you know, just starting out. They might have a, they might be sort of in a player house or they might be living with parents. So I think, you know, the financial situations are completely different. But it's just such a lot for you to, to navigate, Joe. And 45 of them as well. It's... Um, <laughs> Yeah, you've got two squads worth there. Of, um... do, you know, do you know the other thing, actually, on, on that? It's um, with all, everyone says, oh, well, everyone's trying to get involved in women's football and there's lots of money coming into women's football and all the brands are trying to get involved in women's football. And brand the brand space has really changed. I mean, mm. uh, the Euros changed everything. Even before that, it had started to change. But the brand space is quite interesting in that it's for a very select few. So you... You spend. I spend quite a lot of time trying to sort of tell the stories of lots of players to brands who think that they'd like. You know, they recognise a lioness, a lioness, for example, um, but then think they can get them at a fraction of the cost that their their actual, you know, their value is. Yeah. And then you know you start talking. You know, I'm. It's my job to sort of tell the stories of all of my players. Um, and it is. It's. It's hard to sort of convince brands of the benefit of any WSL player um, who is ultimately being seen on television mm. X times a season um, has, a, you know, everyone in women's football, as you will both know, has fascinating stories. You know, we've, we've probably, they've all, everyone's got a story of how they've had to battle or, or something they've had to go through or just their, you know, their, their journey. Um, but the brand space is where there's, there's sort of money coming into the game but I think brands have sometimes been a bit short-sighted about where they're putting it in the game or what mm-hmm. they're willing to spend money on. I, you know, I remember it with boot deals and I remember dealing with some, well, some very sort of the, the big brands and they weren't interested, you know, that they weren't interested in someone who didn't play for England, for example, even though they were playing for one of the top four clubs and, you know, very visible and player of the season, et cetera, et cetera, and took a bit of convincing um, of, of the benefits of investing in the game, whether it was a lioness or not. So mm-hmm. I think I think brands need a bit of educating on mm-hmm. the game as a whole and the stories within that game and the amazing sort of role models that, that can be found within the game that aren't necessarily the, the obvious targets. Yeah, 100%. Totally agree. It's, it's the same with like media coverage as well as that balance of you want to tell stories of lots of people, but then your, your editors are saying it's not getting the engagement... So you're gonna to have to go with the top clubs, and then the fans complain, but then they don't engage with the stuff. Oh, it's, it's a. But don't you think? Like I've always said, it's it's. Look, Sky did this brilliantly with Monday Night Football. Monday Night Football. You don't ultimately care who's playing on Monday Night Football. They just made it like an appointment to view. So Monday Night Football becomes. If you're a football fan, you watch Monday Night Football, right? Mm-hmm. I don't. You don't even know who's playing. It, you know, it could be fifteenth versus seventeenth. You don't care, but because Sky build it up, it and Super Sunday, they they did brilliantly as well right so super sunday monday night football you know you're going to watch mm-hmm. the my main problem with the media is they don't tell me why i should care yeah. about i don't know 
Liverpool versus Chelsea on Sunday. Tell me that Matt used to be the Chelsea manager. Tell me why it's so important that Liverpool need to beat Chelsea on Sunday. Whatever it is, right, there's a story. You can find it in the men's game. It's really lazy that you don't find it in the women's game because Mm -hmm. I don't know that I should care about this game unless you tell me. So, you know, like League League One football, right? I watch a bit of it. I'm, you know, see a bit of Cholton or whatever, but I'm not across it. But if you tell me why this game on Saturday is so important because... I don't know, X are playing X and he used to manage them and or this player's gone there or blah, 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 blah. I will I will then buy into the story because we all love the story. Um, and I, I just think the, the media, like you say, are notoriously lazy and notoriously bad. Um, and that's why diversity in a newsroom or diversity in the media is also important because if you don't have someone in the newsroom who knows, then everybody just goes, oh, the big story this week is... Champions League, men's Champions League, whatever. If you have someone in the newsroom or or in your production floor who knows a bit about women's football and can sell in the story to the editors, then we start to build. Then you get the presenters engaged. Then you you tell your audience, you know, we're all manipulated as audience. You can tell me why something's interesting. You can tell me why something's important. I can choose not to watch it, but give me a reason to watch it. And I, I probably will, like I do Monday Night Football religiously, regardless who's playing. Is that the main thing you'd change then in terms of media coverage or even just in general governance of the sport? Like that would be one of the main I, things. Yeah, because tell me why to care. Okay. Tell me why I should care about these individuals. Tell me a bit about them. And that's, as an agent, I can push that to the media as much as I can push that to the media, but the media have to pick up on it. Um, and clubs have a responsibility as well. Like look at Arsenal yesterday. Mm-hmm. They sold out the Emirates and we all knew the Emirates were sold out. They did a brilliant, brilliant job of selling out the Emirates only because they made us realise how important this was as a semi-final, Champions League semi-final, second leg. This was massive. And they told us, they told us that. And they sold it out. I mean, last and very important question, Joe. I mean, you must have been part of the absolutely crucial and significant deal that saw Leah Williamson pulling pints in the pub before <laughs> the Emirates game because that was a absolute masterclass ledge. of marketing What genius. a ledge. Oh, she's <laughs> such a... I just texted her this morning and I said, hi, Peggy Mitchell. I was like, that's just... I mean, what, what, a, what, a, what a love. What a love. Um, Gosh, but the you, ACLs no. won't stop her. We just what a multifaceted, multi-talented player. Paul's Pines, defensive unit. You know, England oh, but captain. she know, you know, Leah, Leah. Leah knows how important that game yesterday was, yeah. and what an mm. app, you know massive occasion it was. We're all devastated about. You know, I was, I was saying earlier, I'm, I've got a season ticket at Spurs, but I actually tweeted we about the Arsenal <laughs> yesterday, which. I mean, I don't know what's happened to me, but you know, it was um, it would have been it would have been so great had they made the final. But wow. they they played brilliantly. It was a brilliant game. I think every single one of those people who who were at the Emirates yesterday will come back to women's football if they yeah. hadn't been before. One hundred percent. What a showcase! Um, thank you so much, Joe, for for your time this morning, um, especially oh. for bringing on our youngest guest as well. Um, we've really well, appreciated. I've put him to sleep, so I think <laughs> he's bored. <laughs> No, we've loved having Leos and yourself, uh, the, the input that you've, that you've had into, into the world of what it takes to be a director of women's football, going up in the industry, managing an incredible uh, talent agency and, and just, um, you know, the, the incredible job that you do and just managing just on that, it's, us all. It's only like, I love my job because I get to work with people like you and sort of watching you both. And, you know, every week I, I try and do text, I try and listen and I do text you about this, but I love, <laughs> I'm like a proud mum whenever I see, see you succeed. So it is working with, with people like you 
um, who let make my job easier um, and make it all worthwhile. So thank you to both of you as well. Oh, I appreciate that, Joe. Please leave um, that in, Finn. That was so nice. All right, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Joe. Thank you so much. I've loved it. All right, lots of love. Thanks for listening to today's bonus episode of Upfront. We'll be back next Tuesday. In the meantime, ask us a question on Twitter. Uh, we're at Football Ramble. I am at Morgie underscore 89 and Rach is at Girls on the Ball. We will see you next week. Upfront is a stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network.